Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. listening to the market dominance guys with your host chris beal of connect and sell and Corey frank of uncommon pro so welcome to another episode of the market dominance guys with Corey frank and the sage of sales chris beal with us today we are very pleased to have jake housden and jake for full disclosure is canadian so we will have subtitles as appropriate susan will add those uh, where needed when he uses uh, words like a boot or lift or torch or whatever else you guys do. So Jake is the co-founder of the SDR League, which we'd like to talk a little bit about today, certainly, which is the world's first esports league for salespeople, something that before I had a bad shoulder 20 years ago, I'm sure I would have participated, right, Chris? Chris has kind of gimpy knees, but we're kind of the older guys. Maybe we can come in for an inning or two of relief, but we'll see. Leave it to you guys like you and Ryan and the younger guys to set the records and all of Chris and our records are in the books. You and Ryan and the new guys will have a little asterisk next to yours. <laughs> you have weapons like connect and sell and outreach and everything else to, to talk to more folks. We had rotary dials, so we couldn't, our fingers are all knuckled up. So before Jake did the SDR league, he was a CRO of an ed tech company and currently your director of SDR development at Dialogue. So we're pleased to have you today, Jake, and Chris and I do not have guests on very often. So when we do, right, certainly the expectations are very great, but we know that your reputation precedes you very well, Jake. And I think we would just jump right into it as we we're talking before we hit the record button. Chris was talking with you, Jake, about the theory of constraints and the series of constraints that's germane to us as salespeople today seems to be the sales reps rattling the marketing cages and rattling the SDR cages and said, hey, where's my leads? Where's my demos? And then, God forbid, we actually fill the top of the funnel. And then what happens after that, right? So, Chris, how would you frame that up for you and Jake here since we were talking about it just a few minutes ago about this very same issue? Yeah, I mean, the theory of constraints dominates the world of business and yet tends to be ignored by almost everybody in business. And it's ignored, I think, for a pretty simple reason, which is it's politically unpalatable. When you think about it, theory of constraints says your business is a system. Every system has one constraint, one and only one constraint. And that's the only thing you should be working on right now. You should be investing in either understanding that constraint, characterizing it, coming up with an investment thesis, making the investment, or observing the results of the investment. The investment is always in something like better cycle time, increased throughput, more units that are doing the work, better quality. And the reason we don't like it, and none of us like it, there's not a human being on earth who likes it except for Eli Goldratt, the guy who came up with it, is that it says there's only one thing that's important right now to invest in, and therefore... Here's the parentheses. It's probably not what you're doing. It's probably what somebody else is doing. And so that makes everybody feel bad, right? So at a budget meeting, imagine a budget meeting if we said we're going to address one constraint next year. Just one, right? That would be an improvement for most businesses, by the way. If they got from zero to one, that would be pretty good. So we're just going to do one. So, Jake, we suspect by all the measurements we're doing that inventory in the form of 
prospects builds up in front of the sales development function and the discovery function is starved. So we think you've got the constraint and we want to go in and characterize it. And you go, yippee, that's so great. You're going to focus on my stuff. And that means, oh, by the way, the salespeople who are doing discovery are going to ignore you completely. The folks who are providing the data are going to ignore you completely. All we're going to do is focus on Jake. So now Jake's important and he gets all the budget money and everybody else gets to sit around and wait until 2021 or two or whatever it happens to be, right? So nobody likes it, but those who practice it dominate markets. And in fact, when you look at market dominance guys as a whole, what we're saying is there's a, an environmental constraint on businesses, which is do people who need to trust you trust you yet? And the answer is not enough of them. So go get them to trust you. How? Have conversations with them. Do you have to wait till they're ready to buy? No. Have the conversations now. Cheat, right? Condition the market, pave the road, cheat. So that's how it works. And you said, right, as we were coming on, you know, those folks in sales aren't that analytical. I'll tell you, that's not the problem, even though it's true. The problem is doing it right is politically unpalatable because it feels depowering to everybody else. And then as soon as you do it right, you get this problem. You create a flood of output from your constraint, usually, assuming there's enough inputs, and whatever the next function is downstream becomes the constraint, and they don't like it. They wanted it to be easier. They didn't want to be under the spotlight. So that happens a lot. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, well, I mean, when you depict it that way, Chris, it seems like the main challenge then is sort of keeping all of the human beings happy as you go about narrowly focusing on the single constraint, right? Because Ryan Reisert and Sean C seem to debate this one a lot, whether it's process before people or people before process. But at the end of the day, right? These organizations are just groups of human beings, and it'd be nice if we could just sort of sweep aside all of their sort of feelings and, and everything else and just kind of drill down on that. But I think what you're saying is that the challenge is that the political factors at play, everyone's sort of different wants and desires within the business, is what makes it difficult for leaders to take that uh, focused approach to identifying and characterizing that bottleneck and then addressing it and then sort of following it and allocating enough resources from the business behind solving that one bottleneck at a time. So it seems like it's probably a kind of human problem more so than anything based on what you're saying, which makes a lot of sense to me. You've, yeah. you've nailed it. Isn't that something, Corey? You've nailed it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm setting you up to be CEO of my next company. So I'm going to do it because I'm always the constraint. And no, you've nailed it. You know, my fiance goes on stage and talks about the years of research that she's done on digital transformation. And she works for Microsoft. She was a global digital transformation leader there, sales leader. And her conclusion was it's culture. Ultimately, the technology can't get the job done without the culture. And I think you've just put your finger on what the cultural issue is, which is that it's like an Uber constraint and everybody's got to feel good enough. That's, That's fascinating. It. So how, how do you do that? Corey's a master. How have you done it, Corey? <laughs> have you how kept I, everybody happy? Everybody knows with the, within the sound of my voice that how I fix it is, hang on, let me get Chris Beal on the line and let me tell if, if I can get the answer from Chris. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> 
then if you're busy, right, I'll call Ryan or I'll call Steve Richard. And so that's how I've been able to do it. I think, Jake, what you were leading to in some of the correspondence we had prior to this, right, to answer Chris's question is that the revenue problems seem to start upstream in a business. And right with this conversation flow and this mystique that, hey, pipeline cures all, right, Chris? I mean, we've, we've, how many uh, books have we talked about that? If I can just get more pipeline. But then what happens if the pipeline is a little sickly, right? What do you do in that regard? What cures sickly pipeline, would you say? So, and this is what Chris and I were talking about, Jake, before you jumped on is, I was talking with another gentleman whose colleague, a former board member of Chris's, and talking about some of the clients that he deals with, and that as soon as the SDR, the BDR function, fills that pipeline, as Chris was iterating on the constraint, now the sales reps go from, well, I just want any conversation, to, well, I want a particular type of conversation. So they try to be in search of the perfect pitch, mm-hmm. as opposed to getting frequent before you get good, as we talk about uh, with Oren Clef and, uh, and a lot of things that we do on Flip the Script. So have you seen that, Jake, is where you do such a great job and you've gotten all the budget, as Chris had iterated, and now you find downstream that the sales reps are saying, well, Jake, the thing is, is I know you put 20 on my calendar this week, but I talk with 12 of them and six of them, if they could just be a little bit more X or a little bit more Y, then you nailed it, buddy. So keep those flowing, will you? But don't send me the other ones. I think that's a massive problem. And I think that uh, it's been succinctly stated by Chris. I think that it's really people think that the cold calls are the Google search, but that's kind of absurd. And it's actually that the discovery is the Google search. And ironically, the discovery is where all the best discoveries are are made, right? So I think that that's kind of, uh, you know, what I think it comes back to is just the prominence that the AE role is given within the sales org. And I think that that's something that is just because they're closer to stroking the check that people elevate the AE role to an extent where they kind of put down the SDR role a little bit, frankly. And I think that you end up uncomfortable to have conversations that are less perfect, let's say, right? And so I think that, again, human beings just naturally shy away from that discomfort. And when the authority level is sort of in the hands of the AE, then that's where you get a lot of that bad behavior and stuff like that. So I think we're seeing that changed where people realize the whole pipeline cares all. We've heard that forever. Outbound's just getting harder, I think, maybe. Maybe it's easier with amazing tools like Connect and Sell now, to your point about the asterisk uh, earlier. But to Chris's point about the emperor being naked with emails and, and sales engagement platforms and things like that now, you've got a lot of SDR teams where they feel like they're doing their job by just kind of clicking a bunch of buttons on a, on a platform or something, right? So I just think that outbound's getting really hard. And as a result, the most effective thing now is the most uncomfortable thing, which is making the cold calls, having the conversations. And so it just leads to people even not wanting to have discovery meetings that are less than perfect. I think we're seeing a shift though, where people are like, wow, I, I see how incredibly important my outbound machine is. Well, let's, and Let's take that for a second. So for Chris and Jake, let's say I did listen to my sales managers and my sales reps, and I wanted to alter, tweak, change quote unquote, improve my SDRs to get them much more perfect discovery calls. What's the harm in that? What's wrong with having my SDRs engage in a little, maybe instead of one band, maybe my effort is to get eight band questions, right? I'm going to get two Bs and two As and two Ns and two Ts, and I'm going to put this massive 
free form notes section, and then I'm going to put the ball on the tee. So my sales reps may get fewer conversations, but man, are they going to be qualified? What's, what's real the harm in that? Well, I think you're going to crank down the trust that you have in your TAM and the amount of relationships you have with people, right? Because another thing that I absorbed is just that relationships are binary. And, and I know that's something you talk about, Chris, like you either have one or you don't, right? So I think that this notion of, I don't know, spamming your TAM or things like that is flawed thinking and that instead it's the whole nail shaped pipeline instead of the wedge and all of that stuff that we should aspire to because at the end of the day, like we said in the beginning, human beings are involved in business and speaking with them is how you go from that zero to that one. And if you try to sort of crank up the perfection and you, you end up cranking down the relationships and trust that you have, which are really the currency of business in the first place, right? So that's how I'd think about it. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at (laughs) connectandsell.com. With Corey and Chris. Yeah, Corey, I think about it in a very similar way. When, when you think about it in detail, and this is one of the hard things about medicine manufacturing, it, it doesn't do much good to sit around at the coffee shop and talk about how your factory's running. Right? You've got to actually get in there and watch it run. And you've got to measure it. And mm. you've got to listen to it. And you've, you've got to be surprised. Like you've got to be open to, oh, my God, I didn't realize that at that point on that conveyor where it turned on that little corner, that you can't figure that out at Starbucks. If you look at the details and the deep conversation, the cold conversation, there's a flip on the side of the prospect, hopefully not on the side of the rep. The rep has to have their emotions and their beliefs in line beforehand. They're the machine. You can't have the machine changing its characteristics while it's processing the part. It's the part that's changing its characteristics and shapes because it's being processed by the machine, right? So the rep's the machine processing the part, and the part isn't ready yet for the, so the next process. Say the next process is annealing. You're going to put another and make it really hot and hard, right? So it's got to be shaped right first. Otherwise, you're kind of screwed. You put it in the oven, and now it's too hard to, to work. In sales, we don't have enough trust built in order to go to the confession part until somebody shows that they're ready to confess by saying they'll come to us. So when we ambush somebody, they are not by definition ready to confess. There are exceptions and folks will hold those up. Oh, I had a great conversation with so-and-so first conversation. They told me everything about the business, blah, blah, blah. That's how you can tell you don't have a decision maker, right? You have a socializer who tells you everything about their business because they're lonely and they want to talk, you know, but if you're talking to somebody serious, the evidence, the, the number one qualifying evidence that you're going to get is that they agree to come to the meeting. And the number two qualifying evidence is that they come to the meeting. And the best thing for you is for them not to show up at the meeting the first time. So you can talk to them, furthering the relationship within the context of them being obliged to you because they didn't come to the meeting. So the best sequence is brief conversation we talked about how to do it. 
enough curiosity to agree to the meeting, too busy to go to the meeting, that means they're important, call them back, reschedule the meeting, hey, I know something must have come up for you. So when would be a better time to talk? And that is, by the way, the biggest emotional problem that reps have is doing that. I'm offended. You didn't show up at my meeting. Well, I'm trying to find busy people. Of course they don't show up at meetings. That's how busy they are. They, they're doing things more important. Today, for instance, I'm supposed to pick up a trailer today over at U-Haul, and I'm going to drive my Chevy Volt up onto the trailer, put a bunch of paintings and stuff like that in it, hook it up to my excursion and drive it through Oregon back to Washington. But, hey, Oregon's on fire. I'm a busy guy. Do you think I'm going to pick up the damn trailer? No. <laughs> and I'm the customer, and... You know, if they want to run a really good business at U-Haul, and I love them, and they're going to, they're going to say, Mr. Beal, oh, we're so sorry that, that you were unable to execute your mission, and we're here to help you. Let's move this. When would you like it? Oh, next Friday? No charge, right? And they have the moral advantage on me because I'm the guy that didn't pick up the damn trailer, mm-hmm. right? So that's the advantage you want. The ultimate way to build a pipeline is to have conversations with with people you really want to meet with objectively. In an ambush conversation, in a cold call, the prospect is not ready to confess. We don't have enough for a relationship. So we want that nail-shaped pipeline, that funnel, nail-shaped funnel. So when we're trying to, to generate a quality product at scale, the quality product is for folks to buy our product. We need to start with an input, and the input is the best list that we can put together in a short amount of time. And we should ignore timing. That's why going after, t- going after timing is like the dumbest thing in the world. You want to talk to your whole market before anybody talks to any of your market. Therefore, you need to talk to everybody and timing must not be a concern. Secondly, we need to avoid the fantasy of believing that folks will confess to us before we have a relationship that is strong enough for them to actually tell us their business truth. The evidence for that relationship is that they will come to a meeting. So the ideal sequence is we talk to everybody that we believe intrinsically is qualified to buy our product regardless of timing and to make use of it, by the way, make money off it. We talk to them. We set as many meetings as we can, and we hope they don't show up. And the reason we hope they don't show up is then we can talk to them again. And that's evidence that they're busy people, by the way. So we can talk to them again and say, hey, you must have been too busy to attend this meeting. Can we reschedule? Eventually, you will end up having the discovery meeting with them. And that discovery meeting's quality has to do with how clean is the confession, not did it lead to a deal. So one of the problems we have is we comp our account executives on the deals, but part of their job is just to discover what's true. We look at the world in a quarterly time frame, but in our customer base, in our TAM, 11 twelfths of them are not possibly in a consideration cycle this quarter. So who's going to do that discovery work? Now, I suppose we could reorganize and have sales development do discovery, and that could be done, by the way. Jake, I bet we could do this experiment, if your organization was willing to do it, is to train sales development on how to do product-free discovery and then pass off great stuff. So you have two kinds of conversations, one to set the meeting, and then you would be holding meetings, and then you'd be passing off essentially done deals, and everybody would love you. Of course, you'd be doing the whole damn job too, but that's okay. Everybody would love you. And the account executives could just sit around and go, oh, look, I got a check. A hundred percent. And 
that I think is what ends up happening with all of these forces at play is that that becomes the move, right? Because like you said, people want perfect timing. The compensation is based on closed deals, depending on how long the sales cycle is and, and all of those things. The AE's sort of appetite for how far out that timing might be and all of those things then just impedes the trust building in order for the confessions to happen and, and everything that you're saying. So I think that naturally what ends up happening is that sort of quest for perfection uh, for the perfect meeting takes so much power that it like forces what you just said to happen where, okay, well, the correct model then to make our business function properly, if that's going to be our expectations is to bring something that's already had great discovery done and where there's been a few uh, truthful confessions spilled already, and then sort of bring that to the account executive. And that model can work too, right? It's, it's a very different culture in terms of your organization. And the trouble with it is what you said, it's that we're asking a heck of a lot out of the SDR, right? And the pay that they make usually doesn't reflect that in most organizations either. There's the open and the close, right? So you could argue it's 50-50 in terms of the importance that, that each role has, right? So that's some of the issues at play for sure. Well, it's difficult, I would imagine, Jake, too, and Chris and I have spoken about this in several episodes, that to develop that level of curiosity, which can carry the conversation to any real deep level of insight anyway. It's one thing, as we always talk about, to get from fear to trust and then trust to curiosity. And that chasm is large to get from fear to trust, mm-hmm. right? Chris, uh, Chris and I, have certainly, we've talked about it, certainly with Chris Voss, et cetera, right? It's about seven seconds, seven to 15 seconds or so. But mm-hmm. that next chasm, that next hoop that I have to jump through to get from trust to curiosity, oftentimes that's where the empathy and the tone come in. And certainly the screenplay, if it's a great message, but a lot of it is really contingent on that, that BDR, that SDR, to drive a sense of conversationality through their own curiosity so it becomes a conversation and not an interview, not a hostage situation. So in that scenario, Chris, that you and Jake just outlined, that's a tough trait to train on. That's a tough trait to hire for, but yet is really contingent on if I wanted to change my whole organization to much more quality discovery at the top of the funnel versus just cold calls, correct? Wow. So you got me thinking here. And Corey, I, I think that we could do this in your business. Why don't you hire a good therapist mm-hmm. and teach them enough about business that they can hold a product-free discovery call? Just business. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You could do it and I could do it, right? I could, I, I'm confident that I can hold with, oh, say two hours of education in a particular field that I don't know anything about. Sure. That I could learn enough to hold a product-free discovery call that was a lot of fun for the other person. That was very educational for them because I'd have my three insights that are special that have to do with my company. I just joined two hours ago, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not motivated by anything other than learning the truth. Because one of the problems, you, you hit on it, one of the problems in discovery is the motivation is not to learn the truth. The motivation is to get to a deal. And as soon as, a, as an AE smells that there might not be a deal, they either abandon or begin to persuade. And two really bad things to do in sales are abandon. You start to lose interest and then you sound like you've lost interest and nothing's worse than talking to somebody who's lost interest in you. So the other party is like, what's going on? Or you start to persuade, you start to sell. And it's discovery, it's not selling, right? Mm-hmm. So 
I actually think these people are out there, in, and they're out there in the boatloads of them, highly hireable, need to learn business acumen. They need to learn to, to feel person and think business while remaining open to possibilities. And that might be the missing role. Jake, we may have just had, we may have discovered a breakthrough. We may have a breakthrough that completely eliminates the lack of trust in, in discoveries, right? <laughs> the feel person and the think business. Yeah, yeah. What I mean, that, what do you think about that curiosity trait? All the folks that you've had working with you over the years as CRO and VP of sales, director of a biz dev, is there a proportionate connectivity here between curiosity and success or curiosity and their ability to maybe move into a, a sales role and, and the success they have there. Do you see any correlation in that? Yeah, well, I certainly do. And I think that one of the things that's extremely difficult for people is that as they sort of get further in their career and learn things and become more experienced, it takes them further away from a nice Zen Buddhist word called Shoshin, which is the beginner's mindset, right? And I think that becomes one of the most difficult things is to really do good discovery. You truly need to uh, be curious and sort of naive in some way as well, because as you get more experience, you're fighting with yourself on the fact that things that come up, you're going to think you've heard this before and you know where this is going and you're going to steer it a certain direction, which causes you to miss out on a whole lot of clues that, that ought to be discovered and potentially not create the right environment for people to spill their beans in that confession in an effective way. Be like water, as Bruce Lee would say. I, I love that. Shoshin? Shoshin. Shoshin. Yeah, Shoshin, beginner's mindset. And this is a whole other topic, but I, I think a problem in sales is beginners are, are often sort of looked down upon and, and, and stuff like that a little bit. And uh, I think that sometimes they have some of the more valuable insights for your business. And so maybe in that way, it does make sense for SDRs to be doing discovery, right? Because they are usually more so yeah. beginners. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I don't know if it was from uh, Lao Tzu or Confucius or a fortune cookie that I had, but uh, a mentor of mine would always say kind of the evolution of a great salesperson is a three-step process. It's number one, it's ironic that we're talking about this, it says, I know nothing. And then number two is I know everything. And then number three is I know nothing. <laughs> and I think some of us stop at maybe the second piece. <laughs> maybe some of us stop on the first piece, but I think certainly uh, the practitioners of the craft, the true searchers, that we know and we admire, right, uh, continue uh, with, uh, with all three. Yeah, 100%. That reminds me of something else that's on a slightly different gear, but it's these extreme dualities, right, that you have to grapple with. The other one is the whole notion of detaching from the outcome, you know, that, that we like to talk about. And, and Josh Brownie talks about commission breath and, and how people can smell your commission breath and, and all these things. And it's the same thing where you have to close the gap between yourself as a human being and yourself as a human being with the sales quota strapped to your back that you're gunning for, right? And the best people in the world that I've seen, they close that gap very elegantly. And it but what it is, is this dance of thrashing between the two as you learn, because at first you have to learn certain sales tactics and how to have a cold conversation and these things, because they're not natural necessarily ways to speak to people, right? It's kind of different than the way we might have a normal conversation. So you need to be strategic like that, but you also just need to remain yourself, right? And that's the real 
tricky part. And then I think that's maybe what, why you land in the third place again of not knowing once again, because you had to, you didn't know, then you had to learn stuff. And then that stuff messed you up a bunch along the way because it messed up your ability to do certain things. But then at a certain point, you've done that stuff so many times that it just becomes like part of your soul. And I think that's the promised land to get to. But the thing I was talking about with detaching from the outcome is you simultaneously have to care everything about trying to help that person, but you also need to care nothing at all about whether you actually can. That's a very weird thing for people because we're emotional creatures. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.